Good day. Welcome to another episode of the Audible Local Ledger Reads to the Blind podcast. You can get more information at audiblelocalledger.org. Stay tuned for today's reading. Hi, I'm Libby, and I'll be reading you today's Cape Cod Times, dated Friday, September 15th, 2023. The weather today shows lows only in the low 70s. It's becoming cloudy, very breezy, and not as warm as it's been the past few days. Tonight, we'll get down into the low 60s with winds and bands of rain from Hurricane Lee. Over the weekend, Saturday will be rainy and stormy as we feel the effects of Hurricane Lee. On Sunday, the highs will get back to almost 80. It will be sunny and nice in the afternoon. By special request from a few of our faithful listeners, we now present the lottery numbers. For Thursday's midday drawing of the numbers game, we have 2, 7, 1, and 9. The evening drawing numbers were 0, 2, 0, and 1. Thursday's mass cash drawing numbers were 8, 17, 23, 28, and 34. For the Powerball drawing on Wednesday, we have numbers 22, 30, 37, 44, 45, and a Powerball of 18. And finally, for the Tuesday Mega Millions drawings, the numbers were 2, 14, 21, 42, 67, and the extra ball was number 18. The main story on page one of today's newspaper is headlined, Getting Ready for Hurricane Lee. Storm has Provincetown officials focusing on public safety by Denise Coffey of the Cape Cod Times. Dateline, Provincetown. Jody Shesky was filling up sandbags at the DPW at 10 Thursday morning. His Commercial Street home's basement flooded during the December 2022 storm, and he doesn't want it to happen again as Hurricane Lee ambles up the coast. So he took advantage of the town's offer of 10 sandbags per household. Of course, he had to fill them himself and lift them into his Yukon, where Stella the rescue dog smiled at every passerby. Last December, Shesky was 2,100 miles away on a Christmas trip, but he watched in real time as a house camera showed water seeping through the door. He'd put sandbags down then, but they didn't do the job. This time, he was prepared to put more down and stack them higher. Chris Norcross soon joined Shesky at the sand pile and started filling up her 10 bags. Norcross's Atlantic Street property sits across from a storm drain. She wants to be prepared. She'd gone to Land's End to buy bags, but someone had cleaned out all 400 of them. The sand being used had been dug out from the battery terminal at the transfer station. Because there wasn't room to store it in Provincetown, it was stockpiled in Eastham. Another 400 cubic yards of the sand was available there if the town needed to truck more in. By 10.30 a.m. Thursday, about 11 people had taken advantage of the sandbag offer. Highway Department Operations Manager Ray Duarte said they were keeping track of addresses of those who came in because in the past, some people came back three or four times to get more than their allotment. Duarte was fielding calls, making sure his drivers were dumping sand at critical sites in town and laying a berm from Kendall Lane to Captain Jack's Wharf. 
His employees have been busy cleaning all the catch basins, clearing all the drains, and putting sand down at the town landings to help stop tides from coming over. The department is prepared to dig out the overflow pipes at low tide, he said. Duarte had been in a meeting Thursday morning in which town officials discussed preparations for Hurricane Lee. He expects this storm to bring flooding from rain rather than storm surge, and he expects wind damage if winds of 50 to 60 miles an hour develop. There's a good possibility that wires and trees could fall and block roads, he said. We'll come in with machines and do whatever we need to do, he said. We'll be here with chainsaws if we need to cut trees and limbs. If people see catch basins in front of their houses filled with leaves, it would be great if they rake the leaves off so the water can drain down. Duarte said plans had not been made about opening the Veterans Memorial Community Center as a shelter or charging station. Sherry Prada, Deputy Director of the Provincetown Department of Public Works, will make that decision. She was busy fielding calls on Thursday morning as the town prepared for whatever the storm might bring. The town urges all visitors and residents to sign up for alerts on the town website, provincetownma.gov. Real-Time Detectors Gone from Cape Cod Waters by Heather McCarran of the Cape Cod Times. Ocean-loving swimmers and surfers who may have been taking a peek at the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy's Sharktivity app to check for the presence of Atlantic white sharks before venturing into the water will need to rely on their own observations and be extra vigilant if they plan to go in this fall. The Conservancy, working with the State Division of Marine Fisheries, has hauled all of its real-time white shark detection receivers out of the waters off Cape Cod. The solar-powered receivers were taken out in anticipation of Hurricane Lee. At a cost of about $15,000 each, the scientists decided to remove the devices as a precaution to prevent loss and damage in the storm. They will not likely be returned to the water until next spring. At this time of the year, the Sharktivity app detection and sighting data will decrease as a result of the removal of the real-time receivers and less eyes on the water through ecotourism trips and recreational boaters submitting sightings, said Cynthia Weigren, Atlantic White Shark Conservancy CEO and co-founder, in an advisory issued Tuesday. However, it's critical that individuals entering local waters be acutely aware that white shark activity off Cape Cod remains at its peak through the month of October. White sharks tend to start showing up off Cape Cod in June, moving around between Cape Cod and other parts of the Gulf of Maine, peaking from August through October and returning to warmer southern waters around November. When the real-time receivers are in the water, they can send alerts to lifeguards and other public safety officials within seconds of a tagged white shark coming in range. Real-time detections are also integrated into the Sharktivity app. The detectors appear as yellow icons on the app, and when a tagged shark is detected, the icon changes to purple. A summary of tagged sharks detected on a given day is also provided on the app which also includes data about sightings fed into the app by researchers, safety officials, and users who upload photos that are verified by the New England Aquarium. Where were the shark detectors when they were in the water? The now-removed real-time receivers were deployed offshore of North Beach in North Chatham, Nauset Beach in Orleans, McGuire Landing at LeCount Hollow, and Newcomb Hollow Beach in Wellfleet, and Head of the Meadow Beach in Truro. 
While useful, the scientists who use the real-time detectors for research and public safety officials have stressed that the real-time detections shared sharktivity shouldn't be used as the sole means of determining the presence of white sharks in any case. It's important to remember that the receivers can only detect sharks tagged with acoustic transmitters, and there are still a lot of white sharks out there that haven't been tagged, said Megan Winton, a staff scientist for the Conservancy. As scientists, we use the data collected from tagged sharks to give us an idea of what the population is doing as a whole. People should think of the data provided by the real-time receivers the same way, as a proxy for shark activity off the coast. Researchers have tagged more than 300 white sharks over the past few years in the waters off Cape Cod, which is now recognized as a global hotspot for white shark activity. A population study released earlier this summer estimated about 800 of the apex predators visited over a four-year period, though not at the same time. The most individual sharks research have observed on a given survey day was 31. The sharks are also dispersed along the shoreline. Those that are present are not all at the same beach at the same time, and different individuals come and go throughout the season. How many sharks have visited the Cape so far this year? Winton, lead author of the population study, said the researchers don't have an estimate yet of how many sharks have visited the Cape so far this season, or how many are presently patrolling the offshore waters. You can learn more about tagged sharks that have been detected by the real-time receivers through our activity app, Winton said. One big takeaway from the research is that the sharks are spending time in shallow water, even right off the surf line. Shark attacks in general are rare, but people venturing into the water are advised to watch their depth. Swim, surf, kayak, and paddleboard with others. Stay inside the surf break. Avoid murky water and avoid the edges of sandbars where deep water troughs are likely. Sharks tend to use them to ambush their prey. People should additionally have someone on the beach watching out and always be aware of seals and schools of fish that sharks feed on. Public safety officials stress that people stay out of the water in the immediate future in light of the coming storm. The ocean-facing facing beaches are going to be extremely dangerous, Gordon Miller, Cape Cod National Seashore Lifeguard Supervisor, told the Times on Tuesday. I would absolutely stay out of the ocean. For more shark safety tip information, visit the website AtlanticWhiteShark.org. Eversource Preps for Incoming Storm by Heather McCarran of the Cape Cod Times. For several days, all eyes at Eversource have been on Hurricane Lee as it's made its way over the Atlantic and turned toward New England. Predictions about the storm's track have bounced around from slightly east to slightly west. As of Thursday afternoon, it appears to be favoring east and looking to scrape by Cape Cod. We have several weather services, including the National Hurricane Center, that we've been watching and having calls with. Craig Hallstrom, president of Regional Electric Operations, said on Thursday morning. The Thursday morning forecast showed the storm taking a little better track a little further out east than was predicted on Wednesday, with lesser sustained winds in the 40-mile-per-hour zone and peak winds in the mid-50s. Hallstrom, a Cape resident himself, said we take this stuff very seriously. The company expects there will be some damage, but we're ready, he said. 
The company, which has about 180,000 customers on Cape Cod, plans to deploy its crews on Friday. It'll open its emergency operating center on Willow Street in Yarmouth and will set up a mobile command center in Falmouth. A lot of times we bring that to the Falmouth Mall, Hallstrom said. Storm prep also includes a planned inspection of the Provincetown Battery Energy Storage System, capable of providing backup power to customers on the Outer Cape to make sure there are no issues and everything is in working order. Hallstrom said the company is bringing in additional crews as well. We have 400 contractor crews that will be on the property by Friday morning, he said. Some will be on Cape, some will be on the South Shore, and some will be in Boston. When the storm clears and it's safe, he said, they'll be ready to go to work. That looks like it's going to be Saturday morning. Sunrise is when the peak winds are going to be hitting our area. It looks like by noon they'll be out of here, Hallstrom said. The company is planning for fallen trees. Because we've had so much rain, the earth is saturated and the root balls can't hold the trees, he said, so we have some additional tree crews coming in. The company is working to ensure smooth communication with town and state officials. Communication is huge in an event like this. People need to know what we're doing. We've been talking to the state government, we've been talking to MEMA, the state emergency management, and we've been talking to our communities, Hallstrom said. The company uses an application called Municipal Hub to maintain constant communication with state and local officials, where they can report on areas of concern, such as blocked roads, downed lines, and other public safety hazards. So you kind of get away from depending on phone calls, he said. That system we put in place a couple of years ago, it's been a useful tool, Hallstrom said. It's a way for us to communicate quickly. Starting Yesterday morning, the company began reaching out to customers with medical needs who notified them about any power-dependent life support devices they need. The company also planned to begin sending out pre-storm messages to all customers about safety and how to report outages. If power should go out, either report it to us through our app or call us at 800-592-2000, Hallstrom said. We want to know if your lights are out. The company advises people to stay away from all downed wires, to charge electronic devices ahead of the storm, and, if using a generator, to make sure it's well away from the house and any open windows to avoid dangerous interior buildup of carbon monoxide. Mid-September is the peak of the hurricane season, Hallstrom said. We're in the second half, so hopefully it'll stay calm. Eversource encourages customers to also prepare by putting together or restocking a storm kit that includes essentials such as flashlights, batteries, water, non-perishable foods, pet food, and any needed medications. It's also suggested to create an emergency plan with family members and prepare to check on elderly neighbors and friends. Downed wires should be reported immediately to 911 can be reported online at Eversource.com or by calling 800-592-2000 in Eastern Massachusetts. Customers can also download Eversource's mobile app or sign up for the company's two-way texting to report and check outages in the event they do occur. Additional preparedness tips can be found at Eversource.com. Tropical Storm Warning Issued for Cape Cod by Eric Williams of the Cape Cod Times 
Dateline Wellfleet. With Hurricane Lee set to pass east of Cape Cod Friday night into Saturday morning, the big questions are how strong the winds will be for our region and if significant coastal flooding or storm surges could occur. An important part of this equation is the timing and the exact track of the storm. According to the National Weather Service Boston Norton Office forecast discussion Thursday morning, guidance has pretty well converged on a track well offshore of southern New England with a landfall anywhere from the Maine coast to Nova Scotia. But that doesn't mean Cape Cod is out of the woods. A storm surge watch has been issued for the Cape Cod region. According to Thursday's National Hurricane Center forecast discussion, there is the potential for life-threatening storm surge flooding in portions of southeastern Massachusetts, including Cape Cod and Nantucket, late Friday and Saturday. The main storm surge risk for Cape Cod will occur along the northern end of Cape Cod Bay, roughly an area on the bay side between Brewster and Sandwich. Andrew Lacanto, a meteorologist at the National Weather Service in the Boston Norton office, said by phone yesterday. According to the storm surge watch, there is the potential for a two to four foot life-threatening storm surge within surge-prone areas, damage to buildings near the coast, beach erosion, and moderate damage to piers, docks, and marinas. Strong rip currents are also in play in the waters off Cape Cod. Here's where the timing of the storm plays a vital role. According to the National Weather Service in the Boston Norton Office forecast discussion, at this point, the peak of winds looks to be Saturday morning during low tide, which would reduce the flooding potential, but that is subject to change with the forward speed of the storm. A tropical storm warning has also been issued for Cape Cod by the National Weather Service. The Cape may see 30 to 40 mile per hour winds with gusts up to 55 miles per hour. Potential impacts include damage to porches, awnings, carports, and unanchored mobile homes, according to the National Weather Service. Large tree limbs may be broken off with the potential for some trees to be uprooted. There may be hazardous driving conditions and debris on the roads. However, these predictions are subject to change if the track of Hurricane Lee shifts. According to the forecast discussion, a small shift east or west would make a significant difference in expected wind speeds. Rain is also predicted to be part of the package, with the possibility of two to four inches on the Cape and Islands. In the Storm Prep Department, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration suggests folks have enough non-perishable food, water, and medicine to last each person in your family a minimum of three days. Store a longer than three-day supply of water if possible. Because of possible power outages, it's a good idea to keep extra cash on hand and have a good supply of battery-powered flashlights and a radio. For cell phones, a solar or portable crank charger could be very handy. Here's the Hyannis forecast from the National Weather Service. For today, mostly cloudy with a high near 69 and north winds 14 to 18 miles per hour with gusts as high as 28. Friday night, a chance of showers mainly after 11 p.m. and cloudy with a low around 60. Windy with a north wind 23 to 28 mile per hour, increasing to 29 to 34 after midnight. The chance of precipitation is 50%. New precipitation amounts between a half and three quarters of an inch is possible. On Saturday, showers are likely, 
The rain could be heavy at times, and it will be cloudy with a high of 70. Windy, with winds reaching 33 to 36 miles per hour and gusts as high as 55. Chance of precipitation is 70%. Saturday night, chances of showers mainly before 11. It'll be mostly cloudy with a low of around 61, and it will be windy with a west wind 20 to 26 miles per hour with gusts as high as 39. On Sunday, it will be sunny with winds down 14 to 18 miles per hour, but gusts as high as 28. Canal Day Scrubbed by Approach of Hurricane Lee by Walker Armstrong of the Cape Cod Times. Several agencies on the Cape and Islands are bracing for the impact of Hurricane Lee, which as of yesterday is expected to bring tropical storm force winds to much of southeastern Massachusetts within the next 36 hours, according to the National Hurricane Center. In the face of the coming storm, expected to hit late today and early Saturday, many events slated for the weekend have been canceled or changed, and many agencies are either suspending services or altering plans in accordance with current guidelines. One of the biggest events planned for this weekend was the Cape Cod Canal Region Chamber of Commerce's annual Canal Day. It has since been canceled, said the Chamber's president and CEO, Marie Oliva. She said she had a briefing with Bourne Police and Fire Departments on Wednesday, deciding to cancel the event due to the weather. It would be one thing to have rain, Oliva said, but with the high winds, it's a real public safety issue. The Canal Chamber of Commerce does not plan on rescheduling the event, Oliva said, due to the difficulty of coordinating and booking the large numbers of food trucks and businesses that were going to be on hand. She said the cancellation will mean lost income as the Canal Chamber uses the event as a key fundraiser. And at the West Dennis Yacht Club, manager Sonia Mitchell said a wedding scheduled for Saturday is still going ahead as scheduled, taking place inside as opposed to the outdoor backyard. In case of a power outage, Mitchell said the club is planning to use a food truck powered by a gas generator to cook for the party. We're just battening down the hatches, Mitchell said. It's not looking like it's going to be as bad, but we still need to take precautions. We're making sure to get rid of anything that could be a projectile, like outdoor chairs and tables and stuff. The club isn't pulling boats from the water as of yesterday, Mitchell said. An event that will continue as planned, the second summer Cycle Cape Cod Charity Ride, with 400 riders registered, will take place on Sunday. Pat Lentell, ride director of the second summer cycle ride, said event planners will drive ahead to ensure the course is clear and remove any debris that may be blocking the road. We're looking forward to a safe, fun event, Lentell said. If it's not safe and the weather turns out to be worse than we're expecting, we'll cancel the event. Transportation agencies gear up for storm. Noah Carberg, manager of the Nantucket Memorial Airport, said in a Thursday email that the airport will remain open throughout the duration of the storm to accommodate medical flights and any necessary flights to support the town of Nantucket. He said hangar space will be limited, but the airport will accommodate as many aircraft as possible. We're closing our overflow outdoor boarding area, which is a three-season tent, for the duration of the storm, Carberg said. We're advising of potential delays when we bring that structure back online Sunday and into Monday. Our year-round round hold room has a limited capacity. Outbound secure commercial flights may be delayed as a result. Passengers should contact their airline representatives regarding flight status. 
Manager of Cape Cod Gateway Airport in Hyannis, Katie Service, said there are no plans to close the airport or cease operations at the moment, but that the facility will be monitoring the storm and making updates that will be posted to the airport's website and social media accounts. No flights had been canceled as of Thursday, but service said plans will change if the storm damages the airport's infrastructure. It's up to the pilot to determine the plane's capabilities into and out of a field, service said. We've had instances of flooding at the airport. It just really depends on the storm. We do our best to make sure that we communicate with our tenants to make sure that their staff and their equipment are safe. Speaking to the Times on Wednesday, Steamship Authority Director of Communications, Sean Driscoll, said the agency was planning to go ahead with operations for as long as possible, halting service for some time during the worst of the storm's impacts. We would run as late as we could through the storm and then start service as early as it was safe to do, Driscoll said. But there would certainly be a period of time in which we wouldn't have any service. Cape Cod Regional Transit Authority Administrator Tom Cahir was not immediately available to comment on the agency's protocol ahead of the storm. Governor Healy bill calls for $250 million for shelter crisis by Chris Lazinski of the Statehouse News Service, Dateline, Boston. Governor Maura Healy proposed using nearly $300 million in one-time funds to infuse the state's strained emergency assistance shelter system and close a tax revenue shortfall. Healy filed a more than $2 billion budget on Wednesday to close the state's books on fiscal year 2023 and direct new spending into the shelter state of emergency. Her spending plan would pull $250 million from a state account known as the Transitional Escrow Fund, and put it toward the escalating emergency shelter crisis, which in recent weeks has become a focal point as Massachusetts works to assist a record number of people in need. Healy said that money would allow the state to continue to provide services to families during fiscal year 2024 as we work toward longer-term solutions, plus provide communities and school districts with needed support to enroll new arrivals. As you know, the demand for emergency shelter by families experiencing homelessness in Massachusetts continues to increase, in part as a result of migrant families arriving in Massachusetts and lack of federal action. Healy wrote in a filing letter to lawmakers, We're working with our federal partners to impress upon Washington the need for relief and other solutions, including expediting the issuance of work permits. The state is currently housing more than 6,300 families in shelters, hotels, motels, and other sites, an increase of more than 60% from when Healy took office in January. Healy previously told federal officials Massachusetts is spending more than $45 million per month on shelter services, a pace well above the $325 million appropriated for the system in the fiscal year 2024 budget. It's almost like having a small city of 24,000 people spread out over more than 100 locations around the Commonwealth, Housing Secretary Ed Augustus said of the crisis Wednesday. An administration official said $2.15 billion in the bill is designed to close the books on fiscal year 23 and another $250 million will support the shelter system in fiscal year 24. The bill also calls for $200 million for a reserve 
to fund collective bargaining agreements with state employees, which the official said had already been budgeted in the FY24 annual budget but still needs to be appropriated. About $2.11 billion of the closeout costs would go toward Mass Health, which Healy said would allow her team to proceed with a strategy designed to smooth across fiscal years the impact of the loss of enhanced federal Medicaid reimbursements available during the COVID-19 public health emergency. We've reached the halfway point of our program today, and regular listeners are aware that at this stage of our broadcast, we move to the obituaries. Our first obituary is for Deidre M. Coyle. Deidre M. Coyle, née McGrath, age 85, passed away peacefully at home on September 9th, looking out at the garden she loved, her husband at her side. A life well lived, she will be remembered for her love and commitment to her family and faith, along with her infectious smile and laugh. Deidre was born in London, England, on February 9, 1938, to George Donnell and Isabel McGrath, just as World War II was starting. One of her earliest and happy memories was her gas mask with Mickey Mouse ears. Along with her beloved older brother, Patty, and sister Maeve, the family stayed in England throughout the war. Following a long-standing family tradition, Deidre headed to Dublin to attend Mount Anvil Sacred Heart, where she honed her love of the stage and public speaking and prowess on the field hockey field, which earned her a spot on the Irish girls' team. From there, she went on to work at the Indian Embassy in Dublin as a cultural attaché, and old newspaper clippings reveal an elegant and beautiful woman with a gorgeous smile, a twinkle in her eye, and an exciting and glamorous job. It was during this time that Deidre met her future husband, John V. Cole Vinnie, and so began their 67-year romance and adventure. To know Deidre was to know Vinnie and the wonderful life they built with one another around the world. She adored him and he her, and together they created a happy, joyful life for themselves and their children. In Ireland, Boston, Cape Cod, Naples, and beyond. She was incredibly proud of her children and was actively involved with their lives and schools. She was president of both Newton Country Day School of the Sacred Hearts and St. Sebastian's Parents Associations, as well as a board member of St. Sebastian's. She never missed an important event or game, and her children were so appreciative of her always being there. She was the master of the perfect cup of tea and the best beach picnic, swimming, golfing, and playing with her children and their friends, and the consummate gentle disciplinarian and coach on how to do things correctly and well. When Deidre and Vinnie joined the Wiano Club in 1972, they embraced its extraordinary setting overlooking Nantucket Sound and beautiful golf course. As an avid competitor, she and Vinnie went on to win every couple's golf tournament at least once, and many several times. Deidre was president of the Ladies Golf, an instrumental in starting the Junior Golf Program, and along with it, the Junior Sports Awards, Jacket and Tie Required, an event that is still one of the highlights of the summer. Deidre immediately lit up any room she entered and made an impact on so many people with her charm. Her family and friends all remember her wit, which was unmatched, and her ability to tell the best jokes as her husband egged her on 
and laughed the hardest from the sidelines. Along with her husband and children, Deidre is survived by the grandchildren she adored. She was never happier than when everyone was together enjoying the glorious summers spent in Ireland and on the Cape. Services will be held at Our Lady of Victory Church in Centerville on Monday, September 18th at 11 a.m., followed by a reception at the Wiano Club in Osterville. Phyllis Morin, Dateline Centerville. Phyllis Morin, age 96, of Centerville. Heaven's roster of angels and saints gained a new member on September 1st when Phyllis Morin passed away with family at her side. Phyllis was born in Philadelphia, and at the age of 12, she moved to Hyannis. While accompanying her mother, who was looking for work, they were directed to the Morin Employment Agency. There, she met Julius, who later became her husband of 52 years. He predeceased her by 28 years. Together, Phyllis and Julius raised a dozen amazing children, six boys and six girls, and a house rich with laughter and love. Over the years, the family grew to 29 grandchildren and 36 great-grandchildren. Somehow, she remembered everyone's birthday, long after the siblings had given up. Phyllis lived a full and simple life centered around her ever-expanding family. She loved music, playing cards, most especially bridge, and was known for her dancing. From square dancing with Julius to dancing at weddings and family gatherings, Phyllis was always first on the dance floor and one of the last to leave it. At the most recent family wedding, when she was 94, she lived up to her reputation, eager to celebrate after the isolation of COVID. She stayed dancing until late into the evening, to the amazement of all. Most of all, she was known for her unending kindness steadying influence and interest in others. She will be greatly missed by all who were lucky enough to know her. Phyllis is survived by 11 of her children, with her son Stephen having predeceased her. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made to the Cape Cod Needy Fund or the Autism Science Foundation. A funeral mass will be celebrated at 11 a.m., on Tuesday, September 19th, at Our Lady of Victory Church on South Main Street in Centerville. The burial will be private. For the online guestbook and directions, please visit the website of Chapman Funeral. Brian J. Hawksworth, Dateline, Dennis. Brian J. Hawksworth, age 74, of Dennis, passed away peacefully on September 12th surrounded by his loving family and close friends at Cape Cod Hospital. He was born in Worcester on November 14, 1948, son of the late Elmer J. Hawksworth and Dorothy Rogers Hawksworth. He graduated from South High School in 1966 and enlisted in the United States Marine Corps in July 1966. Brian proudly served in Vietnam at Chu Lai and the Tet Offensive. He was honorably discharged in August 1969, and we thank him for his service. Brian was employed for 30 years by Commonwealth Gas Company. After retiring and moving to Cape Cod, he was the sole proprietor of Comfort Home Inspection. Brian cherished time with his family and meeting his friends every morning for coffee. He loved to golf and volunteered as a marshal, traveling to many championship tournaments, including the Masters, the U.S. Open, the British Open, and Pro-Am.
Brian was quick-witted and a man of many talents. He was always available to help his family and friends. He was passionate about serving veterans as past commander of DAV Chapter 96 and AM Vets Chapter 333. He devoted the last 10 years to assisting veterans, their widows, and dependents as a DAV representative. Brian was the project chair for the Dennis Field of Honor, with proceeds going to local veteran charities. He is survived by his children and three grandchildren. Brian was predeceased by his brother, Stephen. Visitation will be held on Sunday, September 17th from 1 to 4 p.m., followed by a service beginning at 4 p.m. with military honors at Doan, Beale, and Ames on Route 134 in South Dennis. A private burial will be held at a later date at the convenience of the family in Worcester County Memorial Park. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made to Heroes in Transition. To share a memory or leave a condolence, please visit the website of Doan, Beale, and Ames, Dennis. Today's Ask Carolyn column is headlined, Interfering Grandma Stirs Up a Hornet's Nest in This Family. Dear Carolyn, my daughter is not speaking to my mother. It's a complicated issue involving my mother interfering in her parenting. It came to a head a few months ago, and my daughter has drawn a hard line. My mother admits she's in the wrong, but says she's unable to stop her actions. These involve undermining my daughter in her parenting of one of the children in particular. There's no danger to the child. It's a matter of disagreement about what the granddaughter should be allowed to do, and my mom aiding and abetting her to do it, even though she knows my daughter has said no. My mother and my daughter haven't spoken for months. My mother is old, and I know if anything happened to her, my daughter would be devastated. But I've pointed that out gently, and my daughter still will no longer put up with what she sees as a betrayal. They're both stubborn, and experience tells me my interference only makes things worse. But it's going on and on, and the hardest thing is they both adore each other. Should I continue to keep out of it or try to convince my daughter to soften her approach? My mom is wrong, but she's also old and upset, and it's awful. Signed, Stuck. Dear Stuck, I bet it is awful, but is it complicated? Your mother declares herself unable to stop, and you seem to buy that because she's old, but if I were your daughter, I'd be seething at both of you for that alone, for so blithely accepting great-grandma as a victim of her own impulses. Your mom has one mandate here, to apologize, make amends, and butt out. Any bystanders, you, with any other agenda, are only making things worse. You say you've kept yourself out of it. However, things you point out, even gently, are involvement and your sympathies plainly lie with your mom. If you really want your daughter to soften, then validate her. Support builds confidence, which makes people more flexible. Every time you negate your daughter's distress relative to your mom's, you feed her distrust and reinforce her choice of estrangement to safeguard her parental authority. To save words and attention spans, I'll cover all the gray area on that authority with a basic rule. With non-abusive parents, either support them or shut up. You can also give your mom's excuses no quarter. Even the sad possibility of anything happening to your mom, to any of you, during this estrangement, 
is information they possess and a risk they've assumed. I take your word for it, by the way, that your mom's issue is stubbornness versus cognitive decline. But if she knows not what she does, then your appropriate role extends to enlightening your daughter as needed, while still supporting her efforts to insulate her household from the effects. Otherwise, though, the reallocation of your support from your mom to your daughter is the extent of your appropriate involvement here. You and your mom presumably can summon how you felt during some of those endless days of rearing children. Presumably, you can imagine also having to battle on a whole other front with an intrusive relative. Remind yourself of that whenever you're tempted to treat your daughter as the one who needs to bend. Sandwich School Board Meets Behind Closed Doors as Principal Takes Leave by Rachel Devaney of the Cape Cod Times. Dateline Sandwich. Sandwich School Committee members and Superintendent Joseph Maruzak met Wednesday in executive session to discuss an issue involving Sandwich Middle High School Principal James Mulcahy. Mulcahy has been granted a leave of absence for personal reasons, according to a September 8th notice that Maruzak emailed to parents. The email was provided to the Times by a Sandwich Middle High School parent. In the official notice for Wednesday's school committee meeting, the members and Maruzak adjourned into executive session under the state open meeting law for permissible reason number one, to discuss the reputation, character, physical condition, or mental health, rather than professional competence of an individual, or to discuss the discipline or dismissal of, or complaints or charges brought against a public officer employee, staff member, or individual. There are 10 reasons listed in the law that the school committee can enter into executive session. In an email to the Times, Sandwich School Committee Chair Kevin Sorrow said, consistent with Massachusetts general law, that Maruzak and the school committee are pro prohibited from publicly commenting on matters discussed during executive session. Maruzak did not return calls or emails sent by the Times requesting comment. The school had 928 students in the last school year from 7th grade through 12th. Who will be the new acting principal? In the September 8th email to parents, Maruzak said he appointed Jeannie Nelson, assistant principal at the school, as acting principal of Sandwich Middle High School. Mrs. Nelson has had a highly successful career over the past 22 years at SMHS as a Spanish teacher, World Languages Department Chair, and during the last five years as Assistant Principal, said Maruzak in the notice. I have the highest degree of confidence in her leadership as her commitment to our students as well as her integrity are of the highest standard. What is an executive session? Glenn Kucher, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Association of School Committees, said an executive session is a private and confidential meeting of the school committee, where minutes are taken and maintained as confidential until they no longer need to be restricted. Executive session can be used to hear complaints against a municipal employee or deal with a termination, said Kucher. There is also a provision of the state open meeting law that says you can go into executive session to comply with any state or federal law. Sometimes matters of privacy fall under that provision, he said. 
School officials can also unanimously vote to close the meeting once executive executive session concludes, but they need to inform members of the public present at the meeting, said Kuchar. In the old days, when Kuchar was on the Cambridge School Committee, the board would enter into executive session, but weren't required to inform the public if they were going to come back and conduct regular business. Everyone would go home because they would think the meeting was over, but then we would come back out and continue with the business of the meeting, said Kuchar. That's when the public could miss out on important decisions that were being made. Can executive sessions remain secret forever? At any particular moment, and at some point, the matter might no longer need to be confidential, said Kuchar. Or the matter might need to be partially redacted and then released, said Kuchar. Redacted in order to protect the privacy rights for people who are entitled to it. It depends on what it is. If it involves an allegation made against an individual that's unsubstantiated, that person might want privacy rights to apply, he said. It's possible that some information doesn't get disclosed, but eventually a lot of it becomes opened. Sometimes it takes years. It depends on the nature of privacy concern at hand. On Cape This Week, Rubber Duck Race, Treasure Hunt, and Music Festival by Frankie Rowley of the Cape Cod Times. With just over a week left until the official start of fall, we're getting in the mood early with some spooky fun activities this week on Cape. Why not enjoy the weather and watch some rubber duckies race at the Rubber Duck Regatta at the West Dennis Yacht Club on Sunday? Or enjoy some fun in the sun in Truro during Truro Treasures, a weekend-long festival full of antiquing, treasure hunting, and even grape stomping. If you're looking for some musical fun, check out the Harwich Cranberry Arts and Music Festival, or if you want to be a part of the chorus, try your hand at an audition for the Cranberry Shores Chorus, or show up for rehearsal at Rock Voices in Hyannis. Watch the Rubber Duckies race at the Rubber Duck Regatta in West Dennis. The little yellow ducks are making their way from the tub to open water during this year's Rubber Duck Regatta at the West Dennis Yacht Club, hosted by the Dennis Conservation Land Trust. The event will take place on Sunday, September 17th, and 500 ducks will race down Weir Creek, hoping to win one of three cash prizes, $500 for first, $150 for second, and $100 for third, for their local business sponsors. For those looking to participate, entries can be bought through DennisConservation.org for $10 or three for $25 through today. If you're planning on attending, make sure to stop by the exhibitor's table to vote on the best decorated duck before the race begins. Food will also be available and activities for all ages will take place. The Rubber Duck Regatta starts at 11 and goes until 2 on Sunday at the West Dennis Yacht Club. Attendance is free. Try Hawaiian food while helping people with Meals for Maui fundraiser in Falmouth. Community groups on the Upper and Mid Cape are hosting a takeout Hawaiian dinner, Meals for Maui, to raise money for people devastated by wildfires on the island. Laura Higgins, chef and owner of the Buffalo Jump Restaurant, is preparing huli huli chicken thighs, rice, and luau vegetables. A vegetarian option of huli huli jackfruit is also available. Higgins's mother, baker Annie Connor, is making dessert. Dinners, which can be ordered now by calling 
5269 and picked up between 4.30 and 7 p.m. on September 20th at the Wacoit Congregational Church are $15 for adults, $11 for children under age 9, and dessert is $4. All proceeds will go to the Maui Food Bank and the Maui Humane Society. People also may donate directly to Meals for Maui in care of the Wakoit Congregational Church. Meals for Maui is co-sponsored by community organizations including the Falmouth Jewish Congregation, St. Barnabas Episcopal Church, No Place for Hate Falmouth, North Falmouth Congregational Church, the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Falmouth, the Mashpee Congregational Church, the John Wesley Methodist Church, and the South Congregational Church in Centerville. Try your hand at being in the chorus in Hyannis. The Cranberry Shores Chorus Women's Acapella Chorus is looking for new female singers to join their group. They'll be hosting a workshop at Fellowship Hall on September 19th for any interested parties to come and learn more about them. The Love to Sing event starts at 6.30 and ends at 8.30 p.m., giving prospective joiners the chance to get to know some of the chorus members, learn about their Harmonize for the Holidays program, watch a performance from the chorus, and participate in a mini-rehearsal. The Love to Sing event will take place at Fellowship Hall of the Federated Church on Willow Avenue in Hyannis. Anyone interested in attending should contact Nancy Gordon at 508-245-5878. And if you're looking to jump right into the action, look no further than Rock Voices. An audition-free choir, Rock Voices is for adults who are rock enthusiasts. The organization is nationwide, but also has a chapter here in Hyannis. Their first rehearsal of the season is September 18th from 7 to 9 p.m., and rehearsals are every Monday following. The first three weeks of rehearsals are open house events, meaning if you're testing out the waters, you can attend for free. But if you want to join the season, tuition costs $275. Financial aid is available for those in need. The first Rock Voices rehearsal for this year will take place at the First Baptist Church of Hyannis on Main Street on September 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. Learn how to disagree without being disrespectful in Truro. Disagreements are a part of our everyday conversations. They can be tough to navigate as disagreements can often be confused with attacks on opinions, leading to exchanges of harsh words and arguments that didn't need to happen. In an attempt to teach people how to mitigate that, Dan Winslow of the New England Legal Foundation will be hosting a talk called Civility in Politics, How to Disagree Without Being Disrespectful, at the Truro Public Library on Thursday, September 21st at 6.30 p.m. The library is located on Standish Way in North Truro, and the event is free to attend. Author Tracy Kidder and healthcare for homeless leader Dr. Jim O'Connell talk in Woods Hole. Tracy Kidder and Dr. Jim O'Connell, the president of the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program, will discuss Kidder's book, Rough Sleepers, which chronicles O'Connell's urgent mission to bring healing to homeless people in Boston. The discussion is from 4 to 6 p.m. on September 22nd in the Clapp Auditorium in the Lilly Building in Woods Hole. The event will also feature Cape Cod Housing Assistance CEO Alyssa Magnata 
and other guests who will talk about the protracted housing crisis on Cape Cod and the changing face of the region's homeless population, organizers wrote. Tickets are $25 and can be purchased at HACS website. Proceeds will benefit Housing Assistance, which is co-sponsoring the event with the Jewel Cobb Action Committee. Eight Cousins Books will sell copies of Rough Sleepers at the event, and attendees can have the book signed by the author. Housing Assistance is the regional housing agency serving Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, and Nantucket. To learn more about them, go to their website. Kind of Soul Food, Truro Venture Capitalist Does Music on Weekend by Jason Savio, special to the Cape Cod Times. Truro's Robert Bob Davoli is continuing a string of busy years with a new album, Nowhere Near, released on September 8th. In 2021, at the age of 72, Davoli made his music debut with his album Wistfully Yours. Since then, the singer and guitarist has released two more variations of that record, a John Prine tribute album, Hello Out There, plus an additional collection of original songs entitled Still Sitting Backstage. In the short time that Davoli has been creating and releasing music, he's placed as a finalist and semi-finalist in numerous songwriting competitions across the country. He was also awarded Song of the Week by the John Lennon Songwriting Contest in 2021 for Transistor Radio and Me. I think I get nourishment. That's what I'm feeling as I progress here, Davoli said. The poetry, the thinking about it and writing about it is a kind of nourishment. It's a kind of soul food. When Davoli jumped into the music world, he did so as someone with a decades-long track record of being a successful venture capitalist. He is the founder of Gut Brain Ventures, currently works as a director on 22 company boards, and is involved with 62 different investments. Davoli, who has been on Forbes' Midas list five times for best dealmakers in high tech, started out as an entrepreneur and co-founded SQL Solutions, a software and services upstart, in 1985. He sold SQL in 1990 to Sybase, and it went public soon after, growing to a worth of $4 billion. He was also CEO of Epic Systems Incorporated, which was sold to EMC in 1993 for $140 million. But for Davoli, something was missing, a form of self-expression you can't practice in a business setting. You do it because you need to do it, Davoli said about writing and performing. Without it, I would feel like something was missing, like part of my heart and part of my soul were missing. Davoli wrote his first song at the age of 58. On Nowhere Near, Davoli continues the poignant and heartfelt folk-inspired music he started with Wistfully Yours. Themes of loneliness, regret, and aging are prevalent as Davoli, with his fragile voice and acoustic guitar, navigates the many tough roads these topics lead him to. Well, I guess I continue to be a hopeless romantic, Davoli joked. I think themes evolve, and sometimes you deepen the themes just through natural development. You keep on writing a lot of songs, and the themes become maybe a little bit more abstract, a little bit more universal. 
Davoli cites the song Wind and Water on the new album as an example of his songwriting progression. These are feelings that most people have. It's the human condition. How do you deal with the human condition? Recording recorded at Wellspring Sound Studio in Acton, Nowhere Near features a group of musicians and singers backing Davoli, including singer Gabriella Martina for a duet on the cover of Donovan's Catch the Wind, and Kathleen Parks for a cover of Steve Glover's Tarnished Dreams. Davoli's Twilight Lady is another standout, as he sings My Poetry of Loneliness, Searching for a Rhyme, but running out of time. Despite the heavy subject matter, Davoli says there's a silver lining on Nowhere Near and a renewed sense of optimism. There's a lot of hope in the lyrics of this album that are celebrating life, he said. Mortality is something we all deal with, but you don't want to lose hope, so you turn to poetry or music, and songwriting in this case. Davoli said there are two types of songs— ones that come from a stream of consciousness, and others that are story songs. Most of the songs on his debut were stream of consciousness, he says. He's trying different flavors of accompaniment, different chord progressions with his new music as he continues to take in what he sees around him with an artistic perspective. Just always have an ear to the ground, he says. I think any songwriter, novelist, or poet does that same thing. You're trying to take life and see if it can help you with your art. 100% of proceeds from sales of Nowhere Near will go to the Greater Boston Food Bank. We're donating it all, Davoli said. Davoli is no stranger to giving back and being involved in the community. He served on the board of the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge and on the board of the Institute of Contemporary Art in Boston. He and his wife also started the Red Elm Tree Foundation, a charitable organization that gives money for land conservation, social justice, women's rights, health care, and the arts. I think it's important to give back, he said. I think if you're fortunate and you have financial independence, you need to be active with your charitable side. While Davoli focuses on giving back, he isn't concerned with becoming a music hotshot. He doesn't have any elaborate plans for a big album release party or extensive tour but he doesn't count out the idea of playing a show once a month and scheduling duet performances with Parks. I'm not looking to be a star, he says. I'm just looking to be able to express myself. Nowhere Near is available at bobdivoli.com and on all major streaming services. And that's all I have time for today. This is your reader Libby saying thank you for listening.